Good morning to Sarepta, and may the Lord bless you. I've been asked to share on deeper into the Lord. I, I'm not certain if this is, is this the beginning of a whole series, or it's just going on, okay. Um, <clears throat> deeper into the Lord is the journey of a lifetime. It never ends. And I don't mean it never ends just in the sense of while we're here on earth, it never ends. It continues forever and ever. Just made a few little notes here. How can we find him who fills all things yet eludes our grasp? How can we find our way to the Father? And then another little note, I just penned it in quickly this morning. To reach him whom we do not know, we must go by a way we do not know. It's like, you know, driving to Port Elizabeth without petrol and then getting lost out in. We do not know where we are. We do not know where we're going. And all our confidence at that point is placed in God. It must of necessity be so. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you may be rooted, notice, rooted and grounded, in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know, and I, I think we've spoken about that word know, gnosis, but he uses the word epignosis here, to know, to know by experiencing for yourself, by participation in, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't know it, but to know it. That you may be, and please hear this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know if you've ever read that. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The same fullness of God that was in Jesus. Colossians 2, 9. In him dwells all the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Verse 10. In him you have been given fullness. The same fullness Are you aware of that fullness of God's presence in you? 
I, I did, I drew up a whole thing, uh, as some of you probably know. I like using illustrations. I find it a, the best way to convey truths. Unfortunately, <coughs> I forgot it at home, so <laughs> all, all that work didn't, didn't help much. Uh, but to understand this, that at the very core of our being is the very fullness of God. Now, <clears throat> this journey into God is a journey of faith. Uh, kind of the ultimate journey of faith, if you will. And it's, it's like Abraham. I think we may have touched on this before. You know, um, <clears throat> Genesis 12, where God says to Abram, leave. Leave your country. Leave your nation, or more accurately, probably your clan, your people. Leave your father's household. Leave everything that you know, everything that you understand, everything that you trust, leave it. Everything that you have relied upon, leave it. And come with me, and I will lead you to the promised land. Please notice he didn't say, let's go and have a look at this land and see if you like it. See if it's up to, you know, is it worth letting go of everything? He didn't say that. He said, leave it. Sight unseen, leave it. And I will lead you to the promised land. It's letting go of everything. Everything. Leave, leave, leave. In a way, it's not like un, uh, unlike uh, Peter stepping out of the boat onto the water, leaving the safety of that boat. Jesus says, come. It's just interesting. It just, I don't know if any of you have ever really thought about it, but it just interests me. All the other disciples, they played it safe. They sat in that boat. Only one stepped out. And it strikes me that this is kind of the same today. In a very real sense, we like to play it safe. We'd rather just kind of sit in the, in the safety of that boat. When Jesus says, step out. It's a journey of faith. Great faith. In the abstract, of course, this is easy, isn't it? In the abstract, yeah, we can just think about it and talk about it and it sounds wonderful and yeah, and then, well, let's go and have a cup of coffee and uh, <laughs> Sunday lunch is waiting and yeah, well, I've got tomorrow to, to contend with um, But for those who want to make that journey, this is not in the abstract. This is a call to become act 
actively involved, to participate, to know by participation whom the Lord is, and to enter ever more deeply into him. You know, there's a story of a little fish. He went to his ma one day and he said, Ma, tell me, how can I find the ocean? And Ma said to him, little guy, you're in the ocean. He says, no, Ma, this is just water. Obviously, Ma doesn't know. He's going to the guy that really knows. He goes to Pa and he said, well, this is, you know, Dad really knows. He says, Dad, how can I find the ocean? Dad says, son, you're in it. Ah, Dad, you disappoint me. This is just water. But then he thinks, he will go and look for a dolphin. They are the clever ones. So he finds the dolphin and he says, excuse me, sir, but could you tell me, please, how can I find the ocean? And the dolphin looks at him and says, little fish, you're in it. And he is so disappointed. He goes away thinking these, these people, they just, this is just water. Well, he really, he saved the best for last, of course. The one that definitely will know is the whale. He travels from the north to the south and back again. So he finds the whale and he says, excuse me, sir, please, could you help me? What is it? Where can I find the ocean? How do I find the ocean? And the whale says to him, little fish, you are in the ocean. And he is so deeply, deeply disappointed. And he swims away. Searching, searching, searching for the ocean. He lived his days out searching for the ocean. And sadly, he never found it. But he was in it. We want to go deeper into God. Where is he? Here. But if I can't see his presence, if I'm not aware of that presence, how can I go deeper? This is a walk by faith, or perhaps better said, a journey by faith. Let us not be like the little fish please. 
This is learning to trust the Lord beyond. I think we, 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 we sang something about this. Beyond our understanding, even if we don't understand. And one of the great things that holds us back is that we want to understand everything. I'll go so far as I understand. Don't lead me beyond that. I don't understand it. If we're, going, if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to journey with him into the depths of God, trust me, he's going to take us way, way beyond anything we understand. So not only do we leave everything that we have trusted, we have to leave, in one sense, our understanding. And journey. With him. Story that I, I'm sure I've shared it 20 times with you, but it's a story worth sharing again and again. It's, it's one of those that I go back to uh, over and over. Rebecca. Ever told you about Rebecca? No. Anne has, but nobody else. Okay, well, Anne, don't, don't worry. They, they haven't done it. I'm going to tell them. Okay. <laughs> She, she, she's just one of, you, you know who Rebecca is, right? Okay, all right. You know, Abram wants a, a wife for, for, for his son, Isaac. He says to his servant, um, go to my people. And by, by the way, just, just in case I forget to tell you, this is a journey of more than a thousand kilometers. This is traveling from here, by the way, to PE. PE is only about 900 and something. This is even further than PE, but you're not in a motor car, even if it is without petrol. You walk this journey. No cars. No buses, no planes, no trains. You walk it. They didn't even have wagons. How long, does it how long would it take you to walk from here to Port Elizabeth? At least six weeks. Or thereabouts. I think if you could walk 25, uh, my math isn't good enough, 25 k's a day, Quickly, who's the quick one here? That's four, that's 40 days, I think. Is that right? Come on, you're a mathematician. <laughs> it's a long journey. The servant sets off, he gets there, he says, Lord, just please guide me because I don't even know these people, never been here before. How am I going to even find uh, the, the, the family of Abram? I mean, wow. And, and you know the pray, praise, you know, the one that when I ask her for water, she, she will not only give me water, but she'll give water to my camels. And, and, and so it is that Rebecca comes, of course he doesn't know her, but he asks for water, she gives him water, and she says, let me water your camels too. So he knows, ah, this is the sign he's prayed for. Um, and it ends up, he ends up at their house eventually, long story short here. And he tells them the story about how he had prayed and, and all this. And uh, well, they said, well, if God has sent you on this journey, what can we say? And he said, wow, excellent, thank you. Let's go. I want to go now. And they said, wait, wait, hang on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Don't be in such a hurry. I mean, you know, let her hang around a little longer. Um, then... Uh, Bethuel is the father, by the way. Laban 
um, is, is, is the brother. And they say, um, where am I? Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? Just think of this. Now, Rebecca, by the way, we, we're just thinking of a story that happened, you know, three and a half, more than three and a half thousand years. Rebecca was a real living person, flesh and blood, hopes, dreams, fears, just like you and me. This is a person, a real person. And here they are asking her to go with a man she doesn't know, on a journey she doesn't know, to a land she doesn't know, to marry a man she doesn't know, and live amongst a people she doesn't know. How many of you would say, that's for me. Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. I will go. In her world of that day, she was nothing and nobody. Just a young lass, probably about 16, in some dusty little village somewhere, of absolutely no importance whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing. Yet her obedience to the will of God, in other words, her willingness to leave behind everything and to go off to a land she didn't know and marry a man she didn't know. Her willingness to do that, her faith, her confidence in God changed the world. Do you realize that it changed the world? Do you realize that in a very real sense you and I are here today as a consequence of that? In the line of natural descent, Jesus was born through her. Because she was willing to go. Talk of stepping out of the boat. Just a thought. How will the world be impacted? Sometime in the future, perhaps, by your obedience to God's call on your life and your willingness to step out of the boat and to go with him. Just a thought. This is a journey of faith. Oh, and I'm I just, sorry, I just make pencil notes all over my notes. And the self who begins the journey into God is not the self that arrives.
lives. There will be great transformation that takes place. And I'm sure, I'm sure many of you who have embarked on that journey, looking back at your life 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you can see the transformation that has taken place. The growth that the Lord has engendered in us. This is not, it's not a pat yourself on the back, how, how great I am. No. For it is God who works in you. Not me, not us, not ourselves. What is it that really holds us back in our journey into the Lord? In other, in other words, what are the things that we need perhaps to, uh, to change or to, to, to let go of? Um, <clears throat> and there are many, and we, we're definitely not going to get through it because... What time do I have to finish? Um, this... This really does call for an honest examination of our own life. Something that we are rather reticent to do. It needs to be an honest examination. And I, say, I would say that the first thing that we perhaps need to look at, the, the order is just, it, it's not given in a sort of a hierarchical order, okay? It's just, as, it, as they occurred to me, I wrote them down. The first one is uh, the five Ps. This is perhaps the pursuit of most people. Um, it's the pursuit of happiness in a way, I guess. Uh, and, and often these five Ps are pursued unconsciously. We're not really, really aware that we are pursuing them. And the five Ps, possessions, position, power, popularity, pleasure. It is the pursuit of happiness. And the one thing that every human being on earth is always in pursuit of, it is happiness. You want to be happy. And the world's recipe for happiness, possessions, position, power, popularity, and pleasure, if you have those, you are happy. This is the life. Sadly, it conflicts with truth. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The NIV says money, but it's much more than mere money. We cannot serve two masters. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, I think it's in verse 22. Jesus says, let your eye, no, the eye is the window of the soul. And if your eye is single, the Greek word there, hello, 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 that's not me. 
If your eye is single, the, the, the Greek word there is aplus, A-P-L-O-U-S for the Greek speakers. Um, it means single. In the, in the, in the, uh, and in the early translations, they always used to use the word single. In the later translations, they said, it's, if your eye is good or uh, if your eye is healthy or something. But Jesus used the word single. Then your body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, then the light that is in you is darkness. And how dark is that darkness which is your light? If the truth which in us, light being truth, obviously, and if our truth is in fact deception, how dark it really is. And this, and then he goes immediately into you cannot serve. So to serve, try and serve two masters is to suffer from division, two focuses. And you cannot do it. In our pursuit of the Lord, in our journey into him, it is essential that we choose. If any one of you, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is radical. And not something that we, in the modern world, really like to, to come to grips with. We, we'd rather have the, 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 the easier, gentler stuff, the less costly we have to make a choice. If we want to go deeper into the Lord, there are choices to be made. And here, this is a journey that demands, if you will, singleness of purpose. The second thing that obstructs us is our view of God, how we view Him. And the view that we hold of God determines how we will approach Him and also determines the, the sort of uh, relationship that we would expect to have uh, with him. Um, you know, it's going to affect our relationship. The way you view anybody determines to a large extent how you will relate to that person. Now, for some people, God is remote. He's far away. He's distant. Um, utterly separated. He's over there and they're over here. But the truth of the matter is that this isn't, scripturally speaking, is not accurate. God is not over there. God is here. In him we live and move and have our being. In him. We are not separated from God. You can be no more separated from God than you can be separated from reality or separated from the universe. We're in him. Always, always in him. 
And what this really means, um, oh, and let me add, and not only are we in him, oh, I've got another verse here, by the way, just for those who, uh, your life is now hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3. 3. Um, but not only are we in him, he is in us as well. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you. And again, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We are in Him, and He is in us. And in a sense, it's not so much going deeper into Him, that's merely a metaphor that we use, in reality, it is waking up to the realization of God's presence. The little fish, waking up, I am in the ocean. I know this is just the world, you know, just the water. It's creation. Who created it? So, yeah. The first view we need to perhaps rectify is this utter separation from God. We've got to go looking for him over there somewhere. He is here. The doorway to God is wherever you are. Now, there are some who... <clears throat> we should have had this church turned around. I could be at the door. I could make a hasty escape. There are some who seem to believe that God exists only to bless them. He's here as a kind of blessing machine. You know, almost like the genie in the lamp or the, somebody called him the ATM in the sky. Um, and they often present him as he's part of our team. Thinking of the rugby, you know, he's part of our team. He's here to make it happen. Whatever you're doing, just call on him and he will make it happen. And if you have a problem, call on him and he'll bail you out. Guys, God is not in our team. God is not even for us. Yeah, I know in Romans, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? Read that in its context. Read Romans and see what Paul is saying. And read Romans in the context of the Scriptures as a whole and see what he's truly saying as a Hebrew. God is not on our side. Please understand this. In Joshua, I think it's chapter 5, Joshua encounters a man with a drawn sword and he goes up to him and he says, who are you for? Are you for the enemy or are you for us? And the man says, I'm not for you and I'm not for the enemy. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I am here. God 
is on God's side. And he calls us to his side. And those who are on his side, guess what? He's on your side too. Okay. But he's not simply there to bless us. You know, as, as John says, if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask. You'll find that in John 5, uh, 1 John 5, 14, I think it is, 15, somewhere around there. Okay. So we need to change that perspective. God is not simply there as a blessing machine. Uh, then, of course, there are those who see God as just an angry tyrant sort of staring down at earth. And he says, Leslie, I saw that toe. It was over the line. You're out. As if he's just looking for an opportunity to toss us from the kingdom of God. And this is absurd. He who sent his only begotten son to die for us. Do you think he's now looking for a way to get rid of us? Not a chance. Not a chance. He is not an angry tyrant. He is a loving father. Yes, he will discipline us, of course. But why does he discipline us? Say, say it loud, yes? Say it louder. Because he loves us. That's it. Those whom I love, I discipline. He is not an angry tyrant. Remember, and there, there's much else, I'm, I'm going to skip over that. Our view of God determines the manner in uh, which we will approach him. And so we, we really do need to learn to see God more nearly as he truly is. Um, ah. So that we can approach the throne of grace, not presumptuously, but in confidence. And I have no idea why I wrote this in. It doesn't matter. Leave it. Um, the next one that we need to look at is our view of ourself. The way we view ourselves. Or the way you as an individual view yourself. Because this too plays a vital role role in the relationship that we have with it. Again, in terms of the way you view yourself vis-a-vis -vis someone else determines how you relate to them. And we need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. Many people see themselves as utter failures, you know, totally unworthy Miserable sinners. In fact, the teaching, and I, I, I pray I don't tread on any corns uh, and produce popcorn. Um, the teaching that we are sinners saved by grace. Do you know that that's not scriptural? It's not written in the scriptures. It is 
arrived at by deductive reasoning. On the one hand, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're all sinners, right? On the other hand, of course, by the grace of God, we are saved. So therefore, deductive reasoning, I must be a sinner saved by grace. That sounds pretty reasonable. But it's not in keeping with what the scriptures actually teach. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Or some of them, a new creation. Old things have passed away. The sinner has passed away. All things are new. Not sinners saved by grace, but saints. Saints. And if you read, and we don't have time to develop this, just, just read Paul's introduction, um, his opening statement to Corinthians. And, and you know what those guys were up to. I mean, truly, 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 if I had, had been right, I'd have said, you bunch of miserable, rotten sinners destined for hell, every one of you. But how does he start? He calls them, what? Saints. Wow. We do not take our identity from our actions. You see, Peter's sitting there, he's the doctor, right? But that's not his identity. It's his occupation. His identity is Peter. We can talk about that on another occasion much more deeply as well. Um, we don't take our identity from our actions. We take our identity from God's declaration, what he says in his word. And just to give you a, one more, just in case you think I haven't given you enough in the new creation and all, in Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 8, but somewhere around there, Paul says this, when we were still sinners... What does that immediately say? When we were running around in Port Elizabeth without petrol. Well, he's not. That's past tense. You're not there now. We're not sinners. We're saints. Do we sin? Well, I can't speak for you, but... Yes, I do. But it is really, really important that we see this because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It determines 
how you will live your life. If you see yourself as nothing more than a sinner, what do sinners do? They sin, and they cannot help but sin. They have to sin. It is mandatory because that's who I am. We're not sinners. We are saints, sanctified in Christ, set apart in Christ. And I truly pray that you will see that. Okay, all right, quickly. Uh, and, and, and just taking on from this quickly, the biggest for me uh, and in my own understanding the greatest, if you will, obstructor. I don't know that there's such a word, but it sounds good. Uh, the greatest obstructor in our journey into the Lord is not, it's not Satan. It is the ego. That false self that always wants to promote itself above and beyond all things. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Pay attention to me. I'm the important one. Ego. Oh boy. I don't know if anybody else battles with that. When I use the term false self, you know what I'm talking about, that false self. Okay, well, well, do that, I'll, I'll allow you to unpack it on another occasion. But just a few notes, I'll, I'll just read them so that the false self uh, <clears throat> from which we take our identity, um, and it feels very much like me, is actually just a mental picture we have of ourselves. Okay. In other words, it's a construction that we have made uh, starting from when we're this big all the way up to whatever big you are now. Um, on the basis of the feedback that we have received, the conditioning that has taken place in our life. And now, this is how we see ourselves. This is whom we believe ourselves to be. But it is actually utterly false. It's just a picture that we have in the head. And when that dies, when the head dies, guess what's going to happen to the picture? Not much is going to continue the journey. We need to get beyond that picture. It's externally driven rather than internally inspired. It draws its energy or its, uh, from the motivational fires of the world out there rather than the fire of God's presence in here. It seeks to satisfy its hunger with the bread of the world rather than the word of God, which it views as a mere uh, abstraction. And it's quite happy to dabble in the scriptures. Uh, this is part of its kind of religious education. Uh, but will not embrace it practically. It remains in the head and does not transform the life of the hearer. I, I hope you, you, you could make sense of all of that. Uh, okay. Hello. Uh, and by the way, this is the self that Jesus tells us to get rid of. This is what has to, in a very real sense, die. 
Um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If we want to go deeper with the Lord, we have to crucify that false self. If we don't, I assure you now, it will continue to rule your life. And the last one that we need to look at, and there's no time to develop it, so I'll leave it in your very capable hands. Uh, <clears throat> we need to look at our patterns of thinking. Um, in other words, our mindset. Um, <clears throat> the way we look at things, the perception we have of reality, the thoughts that we entertain, our approach to life, um, much of this is untested and unchallenged in most of our lives. It's unconscious. It lives deep down inside and it drives us and we don't even know that it's driving us. We think we're making these decisions with a conscious mind, but the conscious mind probably doesn't it's probably no more than 5% of the total mind, the 95% that lies on it's the illustration I've often used is it's the conscious mind is just the wave on the ocean. That's all it is, just a wave. Uh, and it thinks it's everything, but it's the ocean underneath, the water in the ocean, that gives it its existence and determines its actual flow, its direction. And so it is with the unconscious mind. Unfortunately, I left all my drawings at home and I was going to show you that nicely. I can't now. Um, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old man which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the spirit of your minds. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. And then I'm going to close with just reading this, and I'll hand over to you. Um, in terms of equipping and empowering ourselves for this journey, there are two absolutes that we must include in our daily activities. The first, the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures daily. And, and, and I don't mean read the scriptures simply to read the scriptures. That's not what I'm talking about. I had a, a drunk oh, some 40 years ago now. We picked him up in Pinetown. His name was Archie. He stayed with we, we kept him for about three months. I tried to lead him to the Lord, and I failed abysmally. And one of the reasons I failed, Archie knew the word of God far better than I do. He really did. He was astonishing. You see, he'd studied it. But he didn't know the Lord. And the purpose of the Scriptures is to interact with God through the Scriptures, in the Scriptures. Please, I beg of you. I didn't even bring... I, I do have a reading program, that, but I didn't bring it either. I forgot that too. Um, <clears throat> 
if you need it, if you, if you need a, a reading program, just let me know and I'll, I'll print one out for you. I've got one that I've been following, I don't know for how long. Uh, and then the second thing, the, 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 the second absolute requirement, first is scriptures, the second is prayer. Praying. Theophan, the recluse, said to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the presence of, uh, before the face of God, ever present and all seeing. The first and primary purpose of prayer is not to get things, it's not to call God into our team. to put ourselves, if you will, into God's team. It's to be united with Him. And if we can do those two things daily, it will make such a difference in our journey with Jesus. And there are the spiritual disciplines, the discipline of waiting. Where's that singer? Waiting, yes. Waiting on the Lord is a discipline. Don't have time to unpack this. Discipline of silence, discipline of solitude, discipline of simplicity. And the last one, the discipline of fasting. Um, and if you, want a, uh, if you want something that really troubles most congregations when you speak about it, it's fasting. You want to see the opposition you get. Ha! Bless you. Bless you. Sorry to have kept you. Thank you, Trent. I think one of the things that Trevor unpacked in the conference, they said we need Jesus. To we need Jesus. We need to change this nation by Jesus. And they said, we look around and we see the churches are not full. It's just that we don't go out to people. There's a lot of people out there dying not knowing Jesus. We needed to be the people that know the word and pray. And thank you, Trevor, for that. And then I pray, as James says that, let's not just hear the word, but we can be the doers of the word as well. I pray a blessing and a lot of love as we heat it up this week that we may be the doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. It's tea and coffee. A lot of love. I love you guys. I think you're an awesome people. Thank you, Trevor, for keeping us sitting on these chairs and hearing the words. Lovely, a lot of love. Would you build your church, Jesus? <laughs>